Welcome back to A Little on the Long Side. I'm John Purchase. With me, Jim Henderson. And this is part three of a conversation on downside. So uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, John. Uh, appreciate having the opportunity to do this. You know, it's it's a little hard because we're running our business <laughs> around all this. And, and it's been something that, that we've talked about doing for quite a while. And... We have an active business and we have a lot of roles, but it's it's been nice to have taken the time, forced ourselves to take the time to mm-hmm. record some of this because we talk about this stuff on a regular basis. It's not, we're not trying to talk about something that we haven't talked about or have, hasn't been a passion of ours. And uh, so it's, it'd be interesting to see the response to people that maybe get on board with some of the ideas that we have. That would be, I, I think that would be really gratifying to yeah. take the time and have it be something that makes a difference. And, and, I, and I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do when we're talking about the environment, we're talking about sustainability. And in um, how downsizing is going to affect that is, is very interesting because there is something to be said for downsizing and how that can help sustain our environment and help sustain community. The obvious is it's not going to the landfill. If, if you can designate a donation, and, and we're going to talk about donation and how that's going to play into the, the next 20 years of downsizing, because as, as we said earlier, as I said, there's going to be so much stuff that's unwanted, but for the right price, somebody might want it. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a perfect example is looking at our friend Steve Feldman at Renovation Angel, who's actually made a business out of renovating uh, kitchens that were going to be thrown away. And so what he does is he goes into his company, will go in and take really nice kitchens and baths that are being taken out of a home that's being renovated. And then they use a portion of that as a donation to charity. And then they resell them to somebody that wants a really good buy on, say, $100,000 worth of cabinets, and they get it for Mm $25,000. So they're getting it for a fraction of the price. Some of these are celebrity kitchens, so that's even cooler. True. That's and he's so, worked with some pretty heavy hitters. But here's the thing about downsizing. And, and he called me the other day and said, Jim, we're getting asked to take the dining room sets and the chandeliers and whole house donations, everything in the house. And I said, yep. And he said, I, he said, that's unique. And I said, no, that's part of this trend of downsizing because there's no value and, and nobody wants it. And, and people are more conscious about the environment. They don't want it to go to the landfill. And so it's easy for them if they can find a charity, donate it, and know that that charity is selling it for a fraction of the price to somebody who doesn't want it to go to the landfill, who wants to help that charity. Right. And, and right. There, there, I think, is the opportunity that, that we're going to see over the next 20 years. So instead of taking it to the landfill or trying to sell it via consignment or through an auction house, which it's just a waste of time. I can tell everybody that's listening, that's a waste of time. Pennies on the dollar, it doesn't do anything other than increase your income level to another tax bracket that you're going to pay tax on. But if you donate it, and I'll, I'll tell you how it can play out. Let's use a $10,000 dining room set. Okay. And so no one in the family wants it. It's beautiful. It's hardly been used. It's worth, it can be appraised at 10000 Find a charity. You get the $10,000 dollar uh, donation. Yeah, you'll get a donation slip that you can use to write right. off on your taxes. Sure. Yeah. Now, find a buyer for it. We're talking about millennials and Gen Xers being minimalist, but they're also conscious of the environment and they love 
social engagement through communities. So let's say somebody felt strongly about a cause and that $10,000 dining room set, they could pay $2,000 for it, keep it from going to the landfill or just keeping it in longevity. Uh, for $2,000, they are willing to, to buy it and because they associate with that particular charity. And so the charity gets $2,000. The, the homeowner gets a $10,000 mm-hmm. donation, donation slip, yeah. and the person buying it feels like they're doing something good for community. Right. It, it could be, uh, let's say my group, Friends of Foster Children. And again, we're, we're looking ahead because we're hoping to build some platforms that will enable people to be able to do this. But let's say we get a, a, a check for $2,000 because somebody picked us as the charity of their choice that they wanted to donate the $2,000 for, and they got a $10,000 dining room stuff. So it's a win-win situation, and it didn't go to the landfill. I mentioned earlier in a previous uh, cast that we did that we were on top of a dumpster with sledgehammers with antiques that somebody would have used if, if again, if he had started early enough in the process, if there was a system in place. So our friend Steve Feldman has some amazing business ideas for building a platform out where people can list the charity, somebody can donate it, and the money can just flow right into these charities' accounts. And then it's just really a matter of finding a, a reliable company that can pick it up and deliver it to whoever bought it. And and we'll work on those things. I, I'm pretty excited about that as an opportunity to repurpose and reuse things. And, uh, and, and again, it, it ties back to how downsizing can actually help community and not be a burden on our environment. And so rather than building new dining room sets, which again, it's resources. You, most factories are run off uh, non-renewable energy. And uh, so it's, there's that whole cycle of that. I, being able to repurpose, uh, we, we have a program, Donate Cars to Friends of Foster Children. Mm-hmm. And there's a group here in town, they started it. And basically they'll take your old car. In fact, I think we've donated a few here and they fix them up almost like brand new and then they sell them rather than going to the scrapyard because there's still some miles in them and we've seen some pretty rough ones leave here and somebody ends up with them getting a few more years out of them and the money it gets donated to charity and uh and 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 that program again a creative way to keep something from going to the landfill or going to the scrap yard uh, and keeping it in play while benefiting community and, and again, a lot of these people are downsizing. They're probably going to be getting rid of cars and boats and who knows. But a lot of that, I think, is going to find its way into a donation. And, and I think that's, that's the angle that we're trying to steer our clients into mm-hmm. is find a charity. We can recommend some, uh, St. Matthew's House. Certainly. Yeah, we've and, got a list that we right. hand out to folks. Uh, and if I may. Uh, the Friends of Foster Children uh, Forever program is called Donate Your Wheels. Donate Your Wheels, right. And it is uh, done through a partnership with Naples Auto Donation Center. So if you want to learn more about that, go to friendsoffosterchildren.net. Okay. Navigate your way through, and you can find everything you need if you have a car you need to donate. Yeah, that's that's been a really big source of donation for us. Naples Auto Donation Center, uh, NADC. NADC. That's yeah. what I know it from. Uh, our president of our board of directors, uh, Doug Campbell, uh, started that program with, I believe it was, his name was Bill. He just passed, actually, oh, last that's great. year. Well, no, it's, no. It's not great that Bill passed. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, he just passed. But um, uh, 
we have a circle of friends, kind of a cocktail hour just for people to learn about what we do at Friends of Foster. And it's a yearly thing. And we invite people that want to know more and, and might want to donate and get involved. And uh, so we had a, an award in his name and uh, because they've donated hundreds of thousands of dollars over the, the few years that it's been in existence to Friends of Foster Children. And, and, and they donate the money from selling these cars to several other charities, but we've been a big recipient. And uh, it's been kind of cool to see something get repurposed. So it's not going to the landfill. It's not getting recycled. It's, it's actually being reused. You know, we do that reused box program here and, and anyone that wants to... do their own packing and stuff they can just pick up boxes for free and i I would say we probably reuse not recycled recycled still has chemicals it still has a process it still uses energy but we've probably done several hundred thousand pounds over over the years yeah and it adds up i mean when when we finished unpacking in in a home and then we bring all those boxes and we put them on the racks and there are always somebody taking those and, and reusing them, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of neat. I, I think reusing, recycling is good, but reusing it and repurposing it's even better because you fewer resources and not contributing to global warming mm-hmm. uh, or climate change, we call it now. <laughs> so um, so downsizing can be an opp- opportunity to help community, can help our, our environment. It's it's something that we won't have a choice on. And, and if, if you want to, kind of get a clear picture and and I've used this a few times to help people illustrate the importance of downsizing. And and again, you're looking we're we're in homes of fairly large size on a regular basis. And then you can be in a home that's like 20, 30,000 square feet, you could be in one that's 2,000 square feet. The thing that the person with 20 or 30,000 or 2,000 square feet that, that they all have in common is in the last days we're going to have a bed, yeah. a, a nightstand, and a TV on the wall. That's right. That's about it. Out of all that stuff you've accumulated, you've got to go from all that stuff down to that bed, the nightstand, and the TV at some point. And uh, I think it's a great illustration. And it's a great, great way to wrap up downsizing uh, in trying to etch into people's mind. You can't take it with you. A lot of people aren't going to want it. And the sooner we can encourage people to think about their next couple, three, four years, where they want to be, what they're going to have to have with them in that situation and start thinning things out, the better off they're going to be. Uh, uh, if you could picture an hourglass, John, and, and you know all the sands at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And w- when I first did my presentation in L.A. several years ago, I had one, and I had it for a reason, and I flipped it over. It was actually about a 45-minute hourglass for some reason. It wasn't quite yeah. a, it was It was a 45-minute glass. Yeah, it was fairly small. It was the only one I could find on short notice. But I flipped it over and during the presentation and at the end I talked about it. I said, so I asked people what, what they thought the analogy was with the hourglass. And a few people were like, that's the time we have to get things organized and start downsizing and get rid of things. I said, yeah. It actually represents several things, the time that it's going to take. But if you could picture all of a sudden, like five years ago when this downsizing phenomenon started and it's again we're not quite into the throes of it it's really going to pick up in the next seven or eight years anyway if you're the first pieces of sand going through there you go pretty quickly and life is good you sell your house as a buyer you want to get rid of your your art and your antiquities there's a buyer because you're the first one the ones at the top have to wait and those are the ones that don't make the decision soon enough and so by the time you get through that 
downsize, which is the narrow part of the hourglass, all the rest of the sands at the bottom, they don't want anything. Right. So you're, it, the longer you wait, the less likely you have of getting the stuff to a good home, finding someone that wants it, and for you to get maximum value for what you have. And even, even selling your home. I, I hate to say it, but there's not a whole lot of millennials that are going to be buying the kind of homes that we're selling. Right. They're right, that the boomers just, are downsizing out of. They're yeah. not going to spend $650,000 on a 4,500-square-foot house in the suburbs of Boston or whatever. They're, they're at best, maybe a luxury apartment. And so since there won't be buyers, the, the market's going to crash, I think. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I think that there's just not going to be buyers for a lot of these homes. And I think we'll start seeing that in six or seven years. We'll, we'll really see the effect of that. In the real remote areas, like that town I was telling you about where I grew up in northern Maine, I mean, houses are empty already up there. Right. And that's the peripheries. That's, that's sort of like that stuff in your closet. It's <laughs> so far out there, nobody wants it. And, and so it gets abandoned. And so I think of those small rural towns in, in New England and, and the Midwest and, and Pennsylvania or whatever, the further away you are from a center of activity, of culture, of education and, and hospitals and stuff, there's less and less likelihood that anyone wants those properties or anything that was in them. Right. And so that, That's one of the things that I'm curious about is regionally what will happen. You know, if we have, like you said, a small town in, in New England somewhere, the vast majority of the people sell those homes and the next generations coming up aren't interested in them, then what happens to that area? It, it dies. I mean, literally, yeah. it, it, when I, and this is just five or six years ago that I went into a town that I hadn't been in in probably 25, maybe even 30 years, and it was, it was a ghost town. I mean, there was nothing there. It was, it was eerie. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as we uh, more centralize our, our societies. We become more urban-centric and and we're aggregating to very specific areas the pacific northwest the south east where we are and then the mid-atlantic and um, so they're getting out of the rust belt they're getting out of the detroit they're the michigan and and you're seeing that people are congregating in in very specific areas in very specific demographic groups too um, they're saying that uh, that a lot of the gen xers actually are, believe it or not, here in Florida and Texas and, and mm -hmm. parts of California. Yeah, I know there's a, a Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. really yep. hot for Gen over X. the past, uh, past five, ten years. Yep, and, uh, and so it's a different, it's a it's more laid-back lifestyle, Austin and, and some other areas, Colorado, uh, Gen X. But uh, Millennials, uh, Seattle, um, and, and if, uh, San Francisco, L.A., uh, New York, Boston. But the boomers... A lot of them are coming here uh, to uh, the southeastern part of the country. Mm -hmm. And so that's the downsizing. When we were upsizing for 30 to 40 years, it was, it was part of that great success. And what do you spend your excess income on? Bigger house, more right. things, more things. And so, yeah, there's, there's going to be a, a, a very interesting backlog of and sort of a log jam if you will you know what a log jam is indeed i do have you ever seen one i have really not in person oh but you know what it is yeah what is it we're gonna go down this road yeah no no i just yeah the, the, the mill towns where they would float the logs okay. down the river occasionally yeah. yeah they would get jammed up and now you've well got a log jam yeah so yeah my father 
and again, that's another story we'll talk about family and stuff <laughs> at some point. But the father, for, for the time being, when I was like four or five, six years old, he was uh, in, again, way northern Maine. And back in the day, what they do is they cut the trees down in the winter and they had horses that would haul the trees to the banks of a river. And then when the snow would melt, because it would slide easily in the snow. So they would do a lot of the chopping of the trees in the, in the winter, get them to the edge of the river that would flood when the snow melted and the floods would take them downstream to usually a man-made pond with a mill on it. I, I was fairly young, I don't remember it, but apparently he was a log, I would call it a coordinator, okay. but he had a little, I guess for a while he ran a tugboat and they had a boom and they would round up the logs in this big boom and drag them over to the mill. So the log jam was when the rivers, uh, the, the logs would go the wrong way and they would back up the whole log jam and someone would have to get a, a long poles with, with spikes on them to push mm -hmm. them and turn them so they'd go the right way so they wouldn't jam up sure. the river with a log jam. So anyway, so uh, on the long side. Well, we're a little on the long side. <laughs> so it's sort of like all of that stuff being log jammed. In, right. in, the, in the hourglass, you're just kind of waiting until somebody can get you through there. And hopefully people will take notice and start doing things about it sooner than later so that it isn't last minute. So it, again, it all comes down to stress. It comes down to finances. The, the, the whole concept of what we're going to look like as a society in 20 to 30 years, if we're not as a majority building bigger houses, we're not needing those big houses we don't have the families i i i, I think we're going to see a lot of empty houses nice houses that mm -hmm. if there's no buyer there's no buyer no matter how nice it is and uh it'd be very interesting to see the landscape of things in 20 or 30 years i probably won't see it but uh, certainly our children will see that change in the way we live and the way we buy and the way we tr transport the way we get to and from i think that that's mm -hmm. inevitable it's going to change because the resources aren't going to be there so this downsizing is going to we're really going to see a, a major change in our economy it's exciting but at the same time a little little scary sure so uh, it'll be a big shift from uh, traditional economies well again that's that's the whole idea is to challenge people to think about what things will look like because i think that's that's what we should do Mm -hmm. and, and then prepare for it. And if you do it the right way, then I think, again, we can be more sustainable. We can be more proactive about our environment and, and our people and our resources and, and use them more wisely. And I think we're going to have to. We're going to be forced into that anyway. I, I think that we'll see things quite a bit differently from a tax perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and taxes is what runs our infrastructure. So that's, that's ultimately going to change. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And we can look to see, we, well, we know the downsizing trend has already started for the baby boomer generation. Your research shows that what we'll be looking at that over... About 20 years. That, yeah, the next 15 to 20 year period. Yep. Yeah, because the youngest ones will be 76, the boomers. Mm -hmm. And most of us at that point will have done the downsizing. And that, that, will, that will take care of the first 100 million of us. But we also have... Uh, the largest accumulated wealth in the history of mankind. Right. These 100 million people in the history of mankind. It far outweighs all of the wealth of 
the uh, Gen Xers, the Millennials, and the Gen Zs, which are eight to twenty-five year olds. And there's there's roughly another uh, two hundred million of them. Yeah, you combine the wealth of those those three subsequent generations, it still doesn't even get near nope. the baby boomers' wealth. So again, uh, since we are tax based society for our infrastructures, for our schools, our mm-hmm. universities, our our roads, our public works and stuff, where's it? This is the question. Sure. Where does it come from? Where's that money going to come and, from? And, and again, part of what I'm trying to do is advocate for self sufficiency, for zero energy costs, low maintenance, low overhead, so that we can afford to live on less. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think I, I don't see us building and owning multiple homes and building mega mansions like we used to. Sure, there's always going to be the elite group, but as a society, you're not going to see huge, a whole, I mean, the whole baby boomers was all about upsizing, all about keep, let's, the expression, keeping up with the Joneses. That's right. The Joneses got a new TV. <laughs> it's color. I remember the first color TV, and, and it was a big deal. Sure. And now it's, if it's not 260,000 square inch plasma, <laughs> you know, with 500 million megawatts of whatever yeah. amps of power blasting the world out, it's not, oh, well, well it's just another TV. Well, the but, Joneses are winning. Yeah, the Joneses <laughs> are winning. But uh, but a lot of that was boosted our economy it just it just brought us from a, f- a really industrious country to a very prosperous country and uh, that prosperity sh- was shown and and of course we we expanded we grew so yeah it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what we can leverage in terms of tax base with people who make a lot less money who have a lot less assets and yeah. how that's going to play out with our infrastructures and that group that the younger generations with fewer assets and less wealth that look at things differently than the baby boomers did. It will be interesting to see how they handle those challenges because yep. they'll be the ones in control, right? In thirty or forty years, uh, you know how will how will they approach those problems when yeah. there's less tax money available for these you know yeah. projects and public works things like that? So, well, I, I think it's that the, like downsizing, be proactive, not reactive, mm-hmm. and and then. You know, I, I hear a lot of debate about a lot of things, and but they're addressing today's issues. Well, today's issues aren't going to be tomorrow's. Tomorrow's are, 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 we can't do a whole lot about today because it's, it's already too late. Yeah. You, you know, what I mean is we have to project where are we going to be 20 years and let's start acting on that 20 years because that is going to... Uh, be more impactful and, and it takes time to to get things in place to mobilize and to make those changes so if we're making changes for what what has happened up to today mm-hmm. I, I i think we cut ourselves short we need to look where where we think we're going to be with automation with artificial intelligence uh, and all of these things in, in security and, and privacy and those things and look at that 10 15 20 years out and then start building platforms start building uh things in our infrastructure that, that address where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're absolutely right. And, and I will say this at risk of offending members of the baby boomer generation, but there wasn't that kind of foresight no. when, when the baby boomers were coming up. And we're dealing with a lot of those problems now because yeah. nobody was looking forward then. They were enjoying today. And I don't blame them for that. Right. right. Uh, you know, I'm certainly at fault of doing that now. Uh, but yeah, it's very important for these generations coming up to, to look ahead, not to take care of us 
now. No, I want to be taken care of. Well, I want to be taken <laughs> care of too. Uh, but I, the, I think that's a problem that we're we're dealing with the results of inaction. Year, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Yeah, no question. Like you said, we were enjoying the fruits of success, mm-hmm. and 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 I know that over the past twenty five years, like uh, the mill town, I'm, I go, mm-hmm. keep going back. Sure, the river's clean, but nobody's there. Yeah, the river's clean, nobody's there, and it's and it's sad that we had to have a, a polluted river for there to be an economy. Right. So, you know, it, again, that goes back to the the what's our economy going to look like? What's it going to be built on? And, and so I think if it's built on innovation, if it's built on sustainability, not just sustainability of the environment, and again, we've talked and we will continue to talk about sustainability of communities and sustainability of, of businesses and of families and individuals. Mm-hmm. We, we need to put them first and foremost in this, that we don't, we don't sacrifice individuals. We don't sacrifice family for business. We don't sacrifice those for environment either because we have this tendency to get things out of perspective. I like to use the triangle, uh, equilateral. Mm-hmm. All three sides are the same. And, and so when you have community, environment, and, and people slash business all at equal lengths, and each one is as important as the other, I think we succeed. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've broached uh, some of the regional effects that, that we'll see as a result of downsizing into it. An entire town downsizes out of their homes and moves to Arizona or what right. have you, what will happen. I'm wondering, right now, in the immediate future, we don't see people who will want to necessarily buy those homes. So I wonder if at some point the generations coming up will wind up going back to that mill town, say, and bringing it back to life in some form or yeah. another. Well, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's well, again. Now that the river's clean. The river's clean. <laughs> You know, you go. You know, if you build it, they'll come. Right. You know, and so they built a, a factory and they came. And so now they build, you know, a sustainable environment. I think there's there is an economy for that. There is there is something there, an attraction. Um, I've never fished uh, in that river below the mills, but mm-hmm. the river part of that above all the mills has pristine. Uh, fishing for trout. Uh, I've fished it a number of times, uh, the upper part of the river called Androscoggin, and it goes into New Hampshire, and I've gone there a couple of times with people from work to, to fish, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And yeah. uh, But they tell me that all the way to the ocean now, because there's no mills, and they've done a lot of work, and it's been 25, 30 years, it's clean. And I'm always going to have that stigma in my head of what it, sure. what it smelled like, what it looked like. Yeah. And, and when you could walk across it at six years old, yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that it might be another generation or two that will look at it as a pristine river, which yeah. it is pretty much because they have taken the necessary actions, and and not just out of the fact that there's no mills anymore too, because it's all centralized and done differently now. But it, it, that's a good thing. But we we need to replace that economy with another one, and. and mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what it is. Well, we'll see what the kids do with it. Yeah, see what the kids do with it. It's all <laughs> so, theirs. So if we were to recap our uh, conversation on on uh, on downsizing, what would you say the uh, three biggest points, the three biggest things to think about as far as downsizing your home? Well, what do you what do you say they would? First be? of all, you can't avoid it. It's it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Coming whether you want it or not. Whether you want it or not. So I think that's the first thing. Embrace the fact that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Second, do it early. The sooner the better. Because 
if you're 55 or older, it's not too soon to start thinking about where you're going to be in the next three to four years and then actively start doing something about it. And I think the third thing is just be realistic about what you're going to do with the stuff that nobody wants. Don't hang on to it. Just just do what you need to to get, get it out. And uh, the sooner the better, if it can get donated, there are going to be points in time where it's just, it's literally going to be a landfill. Yeah. It's just, you can't avoid putting some of it there. It's just, there's not enough demand for what you have. Yeah. And as so, much as we hate to admit it, even the, the local charities may not yeah. want moms, Ethan Allen furniture. Right. Yeah. Sooner the better, if, if you have something collectible, there's probably somebody out there that might want that. And if you wait until the last minute, it's too late. And, right. and it takes time. I, I, I was in a home, the, the, the husband had passed amazing collections of stuff from Chicago. I mean, just collection after collection. You name it from theater to opera to sports, mm-hmm. anything Chicago, for as long as Chicago has been in existence, he had memorabilia. Mm-hmm. All categorized, all, I mean, it was collections, but beyond collections. He passes, there's no thought whatsoever as to how to get those sourced to another collector. Because given enough time, that could have made its way into the hands of somebody that wanted it. Sure. Maybe she a had, local she, museum, she, a state when, museum. When, when I saw her, and this is a like a month and a half or so before she had to move. And, and we had packed everything only two or three years before. All of it. We had moved it from one location to another. It was, it was a huge, huge move uh, with a lot of stuff, a lot of heavy stuff. Because collections of albums and LPs and, and books and, and memorabilia is very heavy. She had had um, an auctioneer come in. And I saw the, the results. He had just kind of gone rifled through everything and just picked out certain things. So they picked out the pieces that were valuable, and and again that compromises the collection. And uh, if she had at any point in time, it, and while he was alive, realize and stop and thought, I'm not getting out of here alive, <laughs> and let's start trying to find somebody that wants it because there collections. There's probably somebody who wants it, yeah. even if you give it to somebody. Sure, sure. You know, somebody there's a collector for almost anything for the right price, um, but. Junk is junk. It's just nobody's going to want it. So, but, so anyway, yeah, those two, those are the three things. Just start early, uh, be realistic, and and don't wait till the last minute. Yeah. Be proactive. Yep. All right. Well, thank you as always for your time, and uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with us. And we will see you at the next one.